Amen. You may be seated. Now, we've all been living in a world of political ads and political tweets and political polls and political debates, and I'm sure we all have our personal uh, uh, preferences and our personal inclinations about who should be in the White House and who should be in the House of Representatives and who should be in the governor's mansion and who should sit in the seats of power in the Senate and who should sit on the Supreme Court. And it matters. It's, it's really important. And they, these things have an effect on our country and will have an effect for years to come. So these are very serious things, but I have a word from the Lord for you today. Wouldn't that be refreshing? After all the tweets and after all the debates, I have come today with a word from the Lord about who is going to be in power in January. And it's found in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Revelation chapter. There are four visions in Revelation. Four visions. And there's a literary tag that you can see that introduces each of those four visions. The tag is, I was in the Spirit. John was in the Spirit in John chapter 1 and was caught and he, and he saw a vision of Christ, the one who was his beloved and who had been tortured and who had been crucified and who had risen again. He saw a vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And now here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2, John is in the Spirit again. He's caught up to see events unfold from a heavenly throne room. In Revelation 17 and verse 3, John will watch events unfold from an earthly wilderness, but it's introduced by this phrase, he's in the Spirit. And then the phrase occurs again in Revelation 21.10, John is in the Spirit and he inspects the new Jerusalem from a high mountain on the new earth. So you see these four visions. You can say that it's one way to understand the book of Revelation as to see that it is arranged around these four visions. But again, today's text is a second of four visions. And I'm sure the Apostle John, who is a beloved disciple, who deeply loved Jesus, had was now exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Remember, he's working the rock pile, and he must have had disturbing images in his mind. He must have had difficult wrestlings with anxiety or with, with fear or concern because he was human after all, concerned for, for himself and what his future would be like and concerned for the churches that he had influenced and that he had started. And then had he heard that other apostles had already been martyred? Certainly he did. He'd suffered himself. Had he heard that there are people in the churches that were suffering displacement and poverty and difficulty and loss? Of course he knew they were in distress. This would not be something any human being could endure without some anxiety, without some pictures in your mind that really aren't very good. I'm sure that he lost some sleep over this, or maybe he even had some bad dreams. Can I ask you a question? Do you ever have any disturbing images in your head? Do you ever have any trouble sleeping at night? Do you ever have any little videos that run in your head you wish you could just turn them off? make them go away and never see them again? You know, the kinds of things that threaten to shroud in fog 
the things that you believe about God, the kinds of thoughts and images that kind of go through your mind that, that make you tempted to doubt that what the Bible says is true or who God says he is is true. Actually, I think we all have those. And when John had these images in his mind and when the church had to wrestle with these images, the seven churches of Revelation, Jesus says to John, hey, come up here with me. I've got something I want you to see. And what John saw was embedded in his heart and faithfully recorded and preserved for us. John, it's almost as if God, Jesus says to John, hey, John, I, I know you're upset and I know that you're troubled and I know that you're frightened and I know that you've been through a lot, but come up here and look at what I'm doing. Come up here and look at what's happening in the control center of the universe. And so we have a vision here of the throne of God, which thanks be unto God and his precious Holy Spirit has been preserved for Bethel Church right now. And we can look at Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11. Enough talking about it. Let's just read it. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, that's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, the voice of Jesus. The first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never ceased to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created I want you to notice, this is what we're going to do today so that you'll kind of know where we're headed. We're going to go through this, and I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to notice six things about the throne of God. And then as John intended, and as God intended through John, what I would like for us to do then is compare those six things with things happening on earth and maybe make a bit of application to help you this week think, how should I behave based on this, and, and then we'll be done. So let's look at these six things about God's throne. 
The throne dominates the vision. What stands out in these 11 verses? The throne. The throne of God. It's a theophany of, of God. The throne is mentioned 62 times in the New Testament, 47 times in Revelation, 13 times in this chapter. The book opens and closes with a mention of the throne. God wanted us to fix our eyes on the throne of God before all the other things happen that happen in Revelation. And he wants us to fix our eyes. He wants us to see this vision of the throne and be aware of it. These are the six things I noticed. God's throne, number one, is stunning in appearance. It's stunning in beauty. It's a beautiful throne. And, and there's color and gemstones, right? Verse 3, and he who sat on the throne, who, who sat there, had the appearance of jasper that's like diamond and carnelian. It's like a ru ruby or a red. And around the throne, a rainbow like green, like emerald. It was a, a throne of light and a throne of beauty. It was a, the throne of God is stunning in appearance. It's beautiful. That's number one. Number two, God's throne is surrounded by subordinate rulers. You have these stunning pictures of thrones around the throne and elders upon the throne dressed in white and wearing crowns, this would be a stunning picture and you would immediately want to write in your little notebook, who are these 24 elders? But before you answered that question, the bigger picture is quite obvious. Before you even can identify who they are, we know that they are rulers and that they are subordinate to the ruler who is on the throne. Do they, there are things in Revelation that we are not really intended to Im perhaps immediately decode and understand, and some, some things that are immediately decoded, and there are probably some things that won't be as clear to us until they happen, but when they do, we will know because we will have studied this book, won't we? And in this case, there are people who think, well, the, the elders may represent 12 of the 24 elders represent Old Testament, uh, you know, saints, and 12 of them represent the apostles in New Testament. It's a representation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, people of God, and, and there is some indication of that as a possibility when you look at the temple later on. Some would say these are, the, these are church elders there, and this is the evidence of the pre-tribulation rapture. And others would say, no, they, later on, they speak about people in the third person, so they can't be people themselves, they must be angels. We can set that aside today for a minute and just say this much, and this is important, and that is they're rulers, and they're subordinate to the ruler on the throne. So what do we know about the throne? We know it's a place of stunning beauty, and we know it's a place where, that's surrounded by subordinate rulers. All the other, all the, let's just say it this way, all the kings... Or maybe let's just say it this way. All the presidents, all the senators, all of the governors, all of the rulers and all of the authorities in all of the world are subordinate to this authority who is on the throne. Let's just say it that way. Now, number three, God's throne is not only a place of beauty uh, surrounded by subordinate rulers, but it is a place of justice and judgment. And if you are familiar with the stories of Sinai, of the giving of the law in the Old Testament, you see the similar imagery here of lightning and thunder, peals of thunder and lightning, the Spirit of God in its fullness, the sevenfold Spirit of God, all that we need, Spirit of God. We should be filled with the full Spirit of God, if you will. A reference again here and other places in Revelation. God will defend His people, and God will 
destroy his enemies. God will make everything that is wrong right. He is on his throne. God's throne is a throne of justice and judgment. And that's the imagery that we see in verse 5. Now, fourth thing about God's throne in verse 6, God's throne is a place of peace and tranquility. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And so we know that one could not approach the throne because of this something that you could not approach the throne. And it was imagery of the sea of glass and that it was peaceful because that's what you have when you have a sea that's like glass. It's, a, it's obviously an image of peace. The fifth thing about God's throne is that God's throne is not only beautiful in a stunning in appearance, surrounded by subordinate rulers, a throne of pl- a place of throne, a throne of, of uh, uh, justice and of judgment, but also a throne of peace and tranquil- tranquility. But it's a throne that is adored by all of creation. There were these unusual created beings that seem to represent all created beings, and they are continually flying, and they're continually saying what? Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All of creation adores the one who's on the throne. These are probably cherubim described in Ezekiel. Number six, God's throne is alive with antiphonal praise. You know what antiphonal praise is? Of course you do. It's like the Bethel choirs in the balcony, and, and they sing, and we sing back to them. It's like people sing with the same cadence and the same rhythm, but with, harmo- with different notes because of harmony but the notes work together and we sing and people respond in song james will have that right or am i kind of off on that antiphonal praise where and you see in heaven a group playing or speaking or singing another group playing or speaking or singing back in agreement in in unity and oneness it's a place of antiphonal praise here here are the groups it's the uh you see this in verse 6, the four living creatures, each of them six wings full of eyes, there at day and night never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever they sing, it's almost like the elders are like <sighs> falling on their knees, casting their crowns, and they answer back, worthy are you. Lord, our Lord and God, this is verse 11, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they are created. Antiphonal, antiphonal praise. Years ago, I was in my little study. It was in the top of our old farmhouse that was built out on the dead end road in the hills of Ohio, and it was in a little garret room that had a little window looking out to the west. I had found a book by a pastor named John Piper called The Supremacy of God in Preaching, and I was reading that book early in the morning, and and God showed me something I hadn't seen before about the church and about preaching about the supremacy of God in preaching, about a big vision of God and his throne in preaching. And as I read that, my heart was just broken, and it was almost like I had an epiphany, a light of, that I saw something I hadn't seen before. I literally remember getting out of my chair and getting down on my knees, and that changed the way I preach. 
People need a vision of a big God, a God who is a big God. You need a vision of a big God. You know what? Someone said this. Our greatest sins, our biggest sins grow out a little view of God. Think back about your own life and the times when you failed and did things. We've all done this and you've sinned. It was when you were tempted to believe that God wasn't this big God on the throne and sovereign that you would answer to one day. So if that's true, the opposite would be true. If our biggest sins grow out of a small view of God or a view of a small God, then our greatest holiness then would spring forth out of a view, a great view of God. So if we increase our view of God, we increase our experience in holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. He made everything. And so Cotton Mather said it this way. It was quoted in that little book. The great design and intention of the office of a Christian minister, pastor, is to restore the throne and dominion of God in the souls of men. And that's what we're trying to do today. And maybe a good way to do that would be to imagine now the perspective of heaven from earth. Do you remember me saying this before when we preached through this the last time? I, I mentioned there, it's almost like there's a heaven cam, and we're watching heaven cam. Like there's a, there's a camera always trained on the throne, and they're always praising the one who made everything. And they're always saying, worthy is the lamb, and they're always singing praise to him. And he's always in control, and it's always beautiful, and he's always ruling justly, and it's always a place of peace. But then there's another camera angle that, that Revelation often takes. And that camera angle is earth cam. And it is the opposite of heaven. It's full of chaos and injustice and rebellion and all of that. Let's compare earth cam and heaven cam briefly. Around us on earth cam is ugliness, but around the throne on heaven cam is beauty. Remember that? Jewels and so forth, rainbows. Around us is rebellion. People who think they can rise up against God. But around the throne, all the rulers yield to him. Around us is persecution. It's suffering. But around the throne, justice. And around the throne, lightning and thunder and peals of judgment and justice of God. Around us is chaos. But around the throne is peace, tranquility. Around us is creation is broken and creation is falling and creation is groaning. And we're groaning along with it. But around the throne, all created things sing holy 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 and praise him forever around us there are evil rulers or broken rulers or inadequate or imperfect rulers but on the throne is a holy absolute holy ruler and they just keep singing about him holy 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 around us things are temporary transient shakeable disposable insecure throwaway but the one on the throne is an eternal God. And that's what the living creatures say. Who was, who is, who is to come. And when the elders answer back, you notice that two times they answer back. Um, they cast their crowns and they say in verse 10, him, him who lives forever and ever. And again, they say it, him who lives forever and ever. Robert. Barrett Browning got up one spring morning and wrote a beautiful poem about spring. Do you remember it? It ends with these words. God is in his heaven and all is right with the world. 
But John is saying something a little different. He's saying God is in his heaven even when everything is wrong with the world. And I'll tell you this. Here's a little tip, too. I forgot to tell the first group this. I'll tell you this little tip. I used to think there were two cameras in this book. And this morning, as I was just thinking my last thoughts about this, I realized, wait, wait, there's a third camera. There's heaven cam. There's earth cam. And in chapters 2 and 3, what do you have? Letters to seven churches. There's church cam. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? This is the way it is in heaven. This is the way it is in earth. And the Holy Spirit says to us, so now how's it going to be in my church? Maybe there's your house cam. This way it is in heaven. This way it is on earth. How's it going to be in your house? There's heart cam. <laughs> this way it is in heaven. This way it is on earth. How's it going to be in your heart? Why did God invite John to see this vision and inspire him to write it down? To encourage those seven suffering churches. But why did he preserve it for Bethel Church? Because it, this vision answers the deepest questions of the human soul. It answers the deepest questions of the human soul. And it anchors the human soul. Here are questions that we all ask. Deep questions that all humans ask. Who made everything? Answer from heaven. The God of heaven who sits on the throne made everything. And we ask, well, where is he when injustice is happening on earth? And you look in heaven, it's like he's sitting on the throne. And what is he doing? He's preparing to, un to open the scrolls and I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. But he'll, he'll open the scrolls and unfold his will upon the earth. He's preparing to reward the just. He's preparing to judge those who are in rebellion. He's on his throne. That's what's happening. And the other deep question of the human soul is, then, what am I to do then? And the answer is really clear. All created things should constantly, continually, wholeheartedly adore him and worship him and bow to him and submit to him and love him and trust him. Be patient, be faithful, overcome is the idea, and keep your eye on heaven, Cam. So what vision will you allow to dominate? What picture do you have in your mind right now that's really not worthy of God that's really not worthy of you that really might have come from the world or from the flesh or from the devil or from the devil's advocates what pictures do you wrestle with what images have you pinned to the Pinterest board of your soul images that tempt you or trouble you or distract you from things that really are better I heard once maybe you did too of a, of a, a man a few years ago who gave his testimony, he said that when he was a boy, he was exposed to Polaroid images uh, that were inappropriate of a close family member. And these are pictures he could never really get out of his heart, and they affected his life. And all of us have pictures kind of like that, a, a distortion or a perversion of what should have been right. And then we wrestle with that video, and that affects us. We wrestle with that picture, and that affects who we are. Now God has given us a bigger picture to displace that picture. Something greater and more wonderful. Something ultimate and true. A picture of God and what he's doing. And those who are in submission to him and what could be, what you, what could be true about you. 
our son, one of our sons, number six of eight, is named Daniel. He lives in New Mexico. He has two children. Don't worry about this. None of this is going to be on the quiz today. But Daniel, when he was a little boy, had terrible night terrors. You remember that? We would go in his room. And I remember that one time we said, Daniel, here's a song we love that maybe will help you. It's by Fernando Ortega. It's called Jesus, King of Angels. You guys know it. We said, let's play Jesus, King of Angels when you go to sleep at night. So you know that Jesus is in control of everything. You can trust him. One time and only one time, Daniel sang a solo in church. I don't know if you remember that. The song was Jesus, King of Angels, what he sang. Daniel is a sheriff's deputy in New Mexico, and he calls me sometimes, and he says, can I talk to you about some things? There are things I don't want to tell my wife, Kate. They're just too terrible. And then he might tell a story of someone who who took their life, and he had to help with that. Not long ago, he had to come upon the scene of an accident in service an accident where a young pastor, his wife and family all died. <laughs> he says, Dad, when I go home and I go to try to go to sleep, I just can't get that picture out of my mind. And I was talking to him one night, and my heart was just going out to him, and I thought, hey, Danny, you remember when you were a little boy and you had night terrors? And you remember what I said? He goes, Jesus, King of Angels. And that's what I'm trying to tell you today, too. I know you have things in your heart and in your life and in your mind that are just terrible. I know that. I know that you have fears and anxieties and worries and you have threats and you have things that pictures that you wish you'd never see again and videos you wish would never play again, things you wish had never happened. But there's a greater throne and there's a greater vision. Jesus, the king of the angels, is on the throne. And that's the picture he wants you to embed in your heart and in your soul. This Vision of heaven is an emboldening vision. It is an ennobling vision. It is a virtuous vision. It's an honorable vision. This is what the Bible calls it. It's a worthy vision. This is worthy. Those other visions that we have, they're unworthy. This is a worthy vision of God. It's a powerful enough to displace any picture or any set of pictures or any video that troubles you or disturbs you or defiles you. And when we feel our world is completely out of control and when it seems like evil people are in power and when it feels like the whole world is burning down around us, it's then that we need to be in the Spirit and hear the Word of the Lord. And this is the Word of the Lord. We need to see who God is. And we need to see what God is doing. And when we do, all the other things in our life will fall into order. Evil will lose its grip. Empty things will be in their rightful place. Temporary things will be given their proper value. And eternal things will dominate our hearts and occupy our affections and enrich our lives. And the Spirit of God Himself will still our beating hearts. So allow me to dismiss you today with a blessing. Stand with me, please, while I give you a blessing before you go home. May God drive unworthy visions out of your minds. May God give you grace to displace empty visions and power to conquer evil visions that confuse and discourage and tempt and threaten your very soul. And may you see who God is and what he's doing and 
overcome to praise him and adore him and enjoy him forever in the glorious company of the saints. And may you fall on your knees and cry out forever with those who are around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And may you hear the answer back from heaven, worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things and by your will they exist.